Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Well, I realize at a camp like this, probably the most awake you were going to be was last night. <laughs> but the topics that Mark has chosen for today may also help your interest. It's, it's a blessing for me to be with a church which is healthy, where there's such a mixture of families, children, where there are so many people who serve. I'm so thankful to the Lord for the people who are serving with food, with music, with logistics. And then I really appreciate what Mark said too from Ephesians 4. We're all here to serve one another. And there are people here who need to be served and cared for and befriended and built up. So there are many, many opportunities for that. And these are wonderful times. Let me pray before we move forward. Father in heaven, we come to you today praying your blessing upon the whole day, that you would keep us safe, especially the children, and that important things would happen in our lives. We pray that your word would have a great impact upon us. We pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, help me to be faithful to what the scriptures say. And I pray for those here who may be struggling in singleness, that you would help them to see wisdom in your word, to put their hope in you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I warned you last night that sometimes I go off script. And the notes I've given you, I'm going to get to later, but there's just something I've been playing with in my mind about the subject of finding a spouse. And I'm going to go to Ruth chapter 3, which if you know the chapter well, you think, what on earth can you do with that chapter in finding a spouse where some woman sneaks into the guy's room and sleeps at his feet and all this other stuff. That sounds like a really bad model for dating and courtship. I'm actually gonna to try to derive some biblical principles that are illustrated there. Now I know in the book of Ruth, which I, I dearly love the book of Ruth, that the great theme of the book of Ruth is not romance, it's redemption. Redemption came through a romance. And the last word, of the, do you know what the last word of the book of Ruth is? David is the last word of the book of Ruth. And that Israel is in a condition of being uh, oppressed by their enemies in the days of the judges. These are just horrible, horrible times. And they're sinful and they're failing. Even the famine in the beginning, famine was a, is a result of covenant unfaithfulness. The, who's the main character of the book of Ruth? Wrong. <laughs> in my humble opinion. By the way, I've got lots of other people, including probably Bruce Walkie on my side. The main character, who is the person who needs redemption in the book of Ruth? It's Naomi. And she's been widowed and she lost, she lost her husband, she lost her children. They'd been off in Moab, which probably was a bad idea. She comes back to Bethlehem as she says, stop calling me Moab, Naomi, I'm now Mara. I'm bitter, I'm not happy, I'm, I'm sad. The Lord has dealt harshly with me. So here's a woman who has no hope. Her family's gonna die out. You know, her sons are gone. She came out full. Now she's come back empty. Her sons are gone. Her husband's gone. And she's, you know, one daughter-in-law headed back to Moab. Ruth, ironically, Naomi's like the worst evangelist in church history. She said, hey, go back to your own country, your own gods. Maybe you'll find a husband there. And Ruth said, no, I'm coming with you anyway. And so she, anyway, I'll keep going. Um, and so we also see in the book of Ruth God's provision. Uh, and I'll relate this to courtship. 
I have a friend who was working with a lot of young adults, and he told me the advice he would give young men, which would be to ask the girl he's interested in, what are the customs in your country or tribe when it comes to courtship or dating or whatever? Because even today, I mean, we grew up as homeschoolers, 80s, 90s, and you know, there was courtship, there was betrothal, and then, but some families, if you go to the dad and say, can I take your 22 daughter out, 20 year old, 22 year old daughter out, he said, why are you talking to me? Talk to her. And so different families have different customs. And of course the custom here, there's a unique situation we don't have today under the old covenant. God provided that a near relative should marry a widow and that, that their first male child, and this is all in Deuteronomy 25, would become the heir of the dead guy and inherit his part of the land. Now, none of that is going on that way today. And yet we're also told in the New Testament that these things were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the age have come. And so I wanna, what I want to do is go through Ruth 3 fairly quickly and then go through some of the outline that you have and hopefully not go too long. So in Ruth chapter 3, by this time, uh, Naomi, who is the Jewish lady from Bethlehem, uh, the, the Judah, and she is the one who is forsaken. By the way, at the end of the book, she's the one holding the baby, and they even say Naomi has a son. That's another reason we think she's the main character, though Ruth had the baby. But Naomi sees that we need to, do, we need to take action to get the near relative to marry Ruth so that we can have children. And again, I'm going to go through this quickly before I get to the rest of it, but I just think it's really fascinating. So beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3 of Ruth, then Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now is not Boaz our kinsman, who with whose maid you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. It shall be when he lies down, then you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what you shall do. And Ruth said to her, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And it happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward. And behold, a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Then he said, May you be blessed to the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask, for all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Now it is true that I am a close relative, however, there is a relative closer than I. Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good, let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning and rose before one could recognize another, and he said, let it not be known that this woman came to the threshing floor. And again he said, Give me the cloak that is on you. And so he held it, and he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. Then, he went, then she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, 
How did it go, my daughter? And she told her all the man had done for her. She said, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he has said, Do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then she said, Wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until he has settled it today. Now, again, this is not a dating seminar on how to uncover the feet of your future husband. Uh, I realize that Naomi appears to be one of the pushy mothers in a Jane Austen novel where she's trying to set the daughter up. There's much more to it than that. As I said, the book of Ruth is ultimately about providing a redeemer for Naomi and for Israel and ultimately for us. But I think this, there's still something for us on our topic this morning, incidentally. Uh, again, Naomi's determined to find a husband for Ruth. Boaz has already helped them with letting Ruth glean and you know, gain grain. And now Naomi's saying, we need to find a husband for you so we can have a child who will inherit our place in the land and our, our family will not die out. And she sends Ruth to go to the threshing floor. Now, one thing about reading stories in the Bible is that just because somebody did something doesn't mean it was a good idea. And in this case, it records what happened. Now, the general idea of making an appeal to Boaz to be the kinsman redeemer, that sounds to me like a good idea. It even says in the law that a woman should go to the guy and actually take off her sandal and spit at him if he doesn't do his job, okay? So that part is reasonable. Now, the particular method of sending her in at night, there's nothing in the Old Testament law about that. And actually, Hebrew scholars, of which I'm not one, but I'm told, and I actually can see some of the connections, a lot of the language used of Ruth going to Boaz is really full of sexual innuendo. Even the word lie at his feet is the same word used in Genesis when Potiphar's wife says, lie with me. She's all perfumed up like a bride on her wedding night, and yet there's been no covenant made yet. And you know, if I was there with Naomi counseling, I'd say, Naomi, do you really think this is the best way to do this? You know, the big end. That's my opinion. She's trying to produce a good outcome, but maybe not in a good way. It's also interesting, the language, and I can't be definitive, but I think it's interesting how she says, all that you say I will do, it, it sounds like her submission to that, and she's uh, following her mother, and it's almost like Mary with the angel. Okay, you know, I'll, I'll do it. Behold the bond slave of the Lord. May it be to me according to your word. Anyway, moving ahead. So Ruth carries out the scheme. Uh, it's been the harvest. Boaz is happy. Um, Ruth sneaks in. And... You can imagine Boaz waking up in the middle of the night. Some of us are married. Sometimes it's cold feet of the person who belongs in our bed who makes us wake up in the night, when it, uh, but startling us. But the language that she uses is brilliant because she says, can you spread your wings over me? And that's the very language Boaz had used in chapter 2, how Ruth had come uh, to be, come under the wings of the God of Israel and you know, he said, may you be blessed. And she's kind of saying, why don't you become the answer to your own prayer for me that I would gain rest in the land and blessing. So she's a clever girl. And you know, Boaz responds favorably. And at this point, actually, this may be public confession, but my wife loves Hallmark movies. And at this point, you think things are all working out. But if you've seen enough of those movies, it's only 40, you know, an hour and 45 minutes in. There's got to be a plot twist, right? There's got to be some problem. Uh, right before they kiss and get engaged, what's going on? Well, the problem is you've got this other guy. And Boaz says, I'm second in line. This other guy's first in line. And 
I've, you know, I said, I, I see you're a woman of excellence. I'm really honored that you would you know, want me, but this other guy has precedence over me. That's the catch. And so Boaz sends Ruth home full. I think it's kind of like a pledge, all this food coming to the family that you know, he's taking it seriously. Naomi knows he's a, a man of integrity. And so Ruth goes home. You know, some people read this and say, well, what happened? I'd say nothing happened because of their character. Um, not that night. So Ruth waits redemption as she goes home. Okay, so how on earth would I want to apply this to you on our topic today before I jump into the bigger outline? Um, you know, it's kind of funny because we read this and think, this just seems crazy. But even when you read the other marriages and how they're arranged, like in Genesis, and you send the servant off to find the girl who's never met the guy and brings her back, and you know, it all seems nuts to us. Let me tell you something. If they knew what we were doing, they would think we were crazy too. You do what? <laughs> you ask each other, you know, you ask each other out and you go out alone and all these other things happen. That didn't sound like a good idea at all. Um, we, uh, we in the Richies had a friend when we were in college who taught us some, we were actually heard about courtship before courtship was cool, like back in the 70s. And, but he made a statement that two people who are really godly and committed to the Lord can have a successful marriage even if they did not know each other very well before it happened. I'm not recommending that as a methodology, but it does say what's really important. That, you know, I think you should marry somebody you know and are really attracted to. But in the marriages in the Bible, many of which are very successful, humanly speaking, uh, what, what really matters is not that you have all these feelings of being in love. I mean, Samson felt like he was in love a few times, and that didn't work out well at all. There's, there's more to marriage than being Twitter-pated, as the Bambi film would say. So again, some truth before I move on to the next part. Again, I'm not prescribing methodology, but a few different things. One is our romantic interests must be subordinated to our love for God. The most important relationship you have is to the Lord, and the choices that Ruth and Boaz are making are based upon their sense of duty to God. And that's how we need to approach these issues. Uh, the world says, follow your heart, follow your feeling. Actually, I just got Caroline a new t-shirt. What does it say? Don't trust your heart, or don't follow your heart. It's missional wear if I want to advertise for them. Uh, following your heart, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? The way that seems right to a man that ends in death. And so often believers are influenced by the culture in romantic word, in romantic matters. And then choose your spouse based upon character. Uh, Caroline has pointed out to me, we know nothing of what the woman in Proverbs 31 looked like physically. We know nothing of what Ruth looked like. Ruth, you know, Boaz didn't say, you are a hot chick. Every man would want to marry you. What he said, he said, you are a woman of excellence. It's the same Hebrew word in Proverbs 31.10, a woman of excellence. What attracts Ruth to Boaz and Boaz to Ruth is character. Now again, I'm not against you being attracted. You look at Caroline and you say, surely he went after her for her looks. Well, I got both. But um, you know, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain. A woman who fears the Lord shall she be praised. Outward beauty will fade. And so choose your spouse based on what matters most in terms of character. And, by the way, these are the days of the judges, and to find a man like Boaz who follows the law and is generous to the poor and 
all the things we see about Boaz, wants to fulfill his covenant duties. He is a man of excellence too. He's a unique man. She's a unique woman. Uh, they've gained an excellent reputation. And again, if you're single, when Boaz says, everybody knows, everybody in Bethlehem knows that you are a woman of excellence, you want to be that person in your community, that your reputation is such that if somebody is interested in you and asks the pastors about you or others, yeah, this is a solid guy. This is a godly girl. Um, that's important. Now, there's another one that is, I think, a profound observation, and I'm going to make the statement. I think you'll see the connection, and that is, when pursuing a relationship, respect the rights of others. Do you see how Boaz did that? Boaz essentially says, I'd like to have you. I'd like us to go to the city gate today and settle this matter, but there's another man under the law who has precedence over me. And so that's the drama ending in chapter three before you get to the happy ending in chapter four when that guy didn't want to do it. But Boaz essentially says, even though I want you, I'm not going to take you. And our friend Tony, when we were in college, he would share some things. One of the things he also said is that realize that the girl you're out with tonight may someday be your best friend's wife. Don't take in a dating or courtship relationship that which may belong to somebody else. Respect, you know, if you're not married yet, you may even be engaged, but not all engaged people get married. He also, Tony also made the statement that when you're married, you'll wish you'd never kissed anyone other than the one you married. You'll wish you'd never given your heart completely to someone else. Now, I'm not saying the heart part is totally avoidable in terms of the sadness, and, but the restraint, I think, is very important. So as Boaz respected the rights of the nearer kinsmen, when you're even pursuing a relationship, just to think respecting the rights of your future spouse, respecting the rights of their future spouse, your relationship may not work out and you want to be in a position where if that person was in your church with their spouse someday, you wouldn't feel ashamed that you would have conducted yourself worthily. Boaz, again, great example about that. Uh, the next one is that it's not wrong to take appropriate initiative sometimes to find a spouse. Now again, Naomi's methodology I do not favor, but we actually, situation, there's a church I guess preaching occasionally and I, when I was there, I went through the book of Ruth, and there was a young lady there in her 20s, and she said, and it's a church much smaller than yours, she said, I've basically been told I should just go to my church and wait until God sends somebody. And I've looked around, there's only one other single guy, he's my brother. <laughs> <laughs> and so as the years are ticking by, um, and, but I've just been told just to wait. And the Bible doesn't say that you have to be passive in this process. Uh, Naomi saw that uh, Ruth needed a husband, and even, again, I, her methodology, not my favorite, but I, actually I, I overheard somebody today at breakfast saying, how did you, know, how did you meet your spouse? Oh, we met on a, an online dating site. Uh, a large percentage of marriages these days are made that way, even among Christians. Now I want to give a word of caution that you can't know whether the person is a person of excellence based on a dating site because people put their best feet forward on those sites. 
And I think you need to really get to know them in the context of their community before you take things very far or you may regret it. We also know of cases where people married, fell in love, you know, based on the limited knowledge of each other. But I also think there are ways you can manage that. So point being, I think to use a site like that, or actually a couple weeks ago we were in Ohio and it was a young adults, mostly singles conference. And we actually encouraged some of the young adults in our church 600 miles away, if you want to come with us, you can come with us. And one of the guys at that conference, or one couple of that conference, had met at the previous year's conference and were already married and doing, seemed to be doing well. Uh, I realize you should go to a conference to hear the Bible and pray and all that other stuff. But I also think mixing among churches is not a bad idea. I've even had situations, we're in a fellowship called Fire Fellowship of Churches that pastored one time when your pastor wrote to the other pastors and say, I have a young widow in my church. I have no prospects. The Bible said young widows should remarry. And do any of you have any men who might be suitable? And, and actually he got two or three offers and uh, a marriage happened. Now we don't tell people who to marry, but the idea of putting them together somehow, Caroline and I have had a few successful efforts and some bombs as we've tried to do that. But I think taking initiative. Now I'll, Again, I'll make a comment about this, especially the online thing. Uh, if you meet somebody online, I think that's where you have your father, your pastor, somebody talk to his pastor, get to know him in the context of his community. Uh, many years ago, actually, we were in the Philippines and Caroline had two women from this little church come up to her and say, do you know anybody in your church who would like a pen pal? Well, they weren't looking for a pen pal, they were looking for a husband. And we went to the pastor and his wife and said, tell us about these two girls. And they basically said, this one I'm not sure about, but this one is amazing. She takes care of her great uncle and aunt. She serves, she's moral, she's honest. She is a woman of excellence. And so back then, this is before cell phones, at least before we had cell phones, uh, we took our digital camera and took the picture, maybe even did an old camera, developed the film, I'm not sure. Have your parents explain what I just said. Um, and we took her picture and brought it back and showed it uh, to a, a single deacon in our church who wanted to be married. And I mean, they've been married now probably 23, 24 years. But he, she, was, she was a known quantity. He was a known quantity. So you need some way of verifying what Ruth and Boaz knew about each other. Uh, general statement, God's will must be accomplished in God's way and God's time. Um, we have to be patient and wait. I mean, probably it was a long wait for Naomi and Ruth between chapters 3 and chapter 4. I, right now, in our church, we have a lot of young adults. I'm teaching in a seminary where there are a lot of young adults. And then I'm supervising young counselors who are counseling their friends, young adults. Many of them in these relationships. I see a couple of trends. Trend A is there aren't that many young men ready for marriage. And that causes problem for the women, <laughs> too. And just men who want a girlfriend, or even men who might want someone to meet their needs, but in terms of a man who is ready to do whatever it takes to provide for a family, a man not just looking for someone to take care of him, but looking for someone to take care of, realizing you know, object of marriage is for you to bring some godly woman to fulfillment in that role, not for her to make you feel good, is the primary aim. Yes, it's nice on your side as well. 
Um, we need men, and in our church, thankfully, there's a lot of wonderful men who don't fit that terrible mold, but there just is a big problem with that. The other problem I've observed is there are young women who are really eager to be married, and they settle for someone who is not really godly. And I've listened to audios of one of my female students counseling a friend in college, and there have been so many cases where women in those situations have continued with a bad boyfriend who might be verbally abusive, who might be controlling, and most commonly may be asking her to do things physically that only a husband should expect from a wife. And she's afraid of losing him, and so she's afraid to break it off. She's, uh, I'll even hear say, well, I don't want to disappoint him. I don't want to embarrass him. And yet he's doing things no single man should be doing to another single woman. And there's a book, it's not in my notes, I don't think, but I would really recommend, especially for the young ladies, it's by Deepak Reju, and it's called She's Got the Wrong Guy. She's Got the Wrong Guy. Deepak is at Capitol Hill in, in Washington with Mark Dever. But he goes through the different kinds of wrong guys that women settle for. And uh, it's worth looking at. So uh, you have to wait. It, it, it's better to remain single than to be in an awful marriage. We counsel in some awful marriages too. Better to wait um, than to settle. And then one more matter of hope before I jump into the other outline, which I realize it's kind of half and half. Um, and that is that God is able to provide. And that's a matter of trusting him. One reason people get desperate or settle is because they're afraid, well, if I don't take this guy, maybe nobody will come along. By the way, I want to back up one step on the girls who give in to the guys. You know, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul warns that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one flesh with her. Principle being back from Genesis 2.24 is when you give yourself physically to somebody, even if you're not married, there's a, it's, sex is a bonding experience, even if it's not fully sexual. And so when you give yourself to some degree to that person, uh, what's meant to bind together a husband and wife in marriage makes you feel bound to that person and then often makes the girl especially afraid. She feels so bound to him, she's afraid to lose him and then is not making sensible decisions about the relationship or about purity. So sex is very binding and it takes faith. Maybe she thinks, well, once I've done the, with this person, nobody will want me. So that's one reason to really watch out. Anyway, happy last point on this, by the way, I'm not done with the talk, I'm only halfway done, <laughs> is that if God can provide a, a godly husband for a Moabitess in Bethlehem, in the days of the judges, and Moabitess, who had been married before in barren, so she's not like a prospect for a, being a productive, sun-making wife. If God can provide a Boaz for Ruth, he can provide for you. And that's hope. Now, I don't want to get that wrong. There's another, one other aspect I want to bring out, which is kind of, obviously I'm going to be summarizing the next outline because I've used most of my time already. But you when know, Genesis 2.18 says, it's not good for the man to be alone, I will make a helper suitable for him. Um, a couple things I think people take from that verse that may be truisms that aren't necessarily accurate. One false truism would be that 
God will always have somebody for you if you just wait. It's just not always true. We live in a fallen world. I've seen churches in other countries where you have five times more women than men. They're going, just like they're gonna be people who wanna have children and can't have children, they're gonna be people who are lonely and want to be married. And I can't promise you from the Bible if you just wait that Prince Charming will come riding up on his horse someday. Some of us are gonna to have to suffer in singleness. And some of it may be temporary while you wait, some may be after widowhood or, or something like that. But singleness can be hard for most people and many people say, well, I don't think I have the gift of singleness, but it doesn't necessarily mean there's an absolute promise in the Bible that God will provide. Now, I would say, humanly speaking, get yourself out there in appropriate ways so that if Boaz is around or Ruth is around, you'll find each other. But that's, that's just a hard reality. Another reality that sometimes you hear people say, well, you can't be married, you shouldn't be married until you're completely content being single. Now, there's a, a little bit of truth to that in the sense that if you're single, you should strive to be content as a single. But quite frankly, if you are completely content being single, then you won't want to get married. I mean, it's the fact like, you know, that you're yearning in your, your loneliness. It, it's not good for me to be alone. I want to share my life with somebody, and not just sexually, but I want a best friend, and I want to walk through life with this person and God has made most of us to want that kind of companionship. And so if, if you don't feel that way, I mean, it's, it's good while you're single to strive for contentment, but it's actually kind of the appropriate discontentment that's gonna drive you to do what it takes to find a spouse. My commentary. Okay. Now, to summarize a few things about, I'm not gonna go through the whole other outline you got, but I want to summarize some high points. Uh, you know, Genesis 2.24, the Lord says, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And as I look at that, and this is for the single people here, the ideal would be that those things will take place in your life once. And, you know, that you would, you know, a point would come when you would leave your family, find a spouse, be committed to them in a covenant of marriage, permanent for life. It would be not just permanent, but close and intimate, not just staying married, but becoming best friends and enjoying the blessings of a physical relationship. A concern in our culture, and this is kind of how the courtship thing started for some of us in the late 70s, and um, you know, has had its various manifestations. The label you use, whether it's courtship or intentional dating or whatever it would be, the, the, the point would be, and actually, you know, my, my subtitle, this used to be, it's called Avoiding the Hurt, is as you approach this, those of you who are single, probably you're going to get hurt at some point, and probably you're going to hurt somebody else at some point. And so I, I have no way to tell you how to completely avoid that. But I can say you want to do as little of it as possible. And one way to do that is to avoid pulling away from your family and creating this tight relationship with the person you may never marry. To avoid not just physical, but an emotional connection and commitment that we used to use the term like mini marriages. 
And you even see kids in middle school now, and they have these little mini marriages, or high school, or whatever. They're not ready to figure out who they're going to marry. And, but it, it has you know, expectations, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, almost like a husband and wife, and then some physical element, and you know, whatever it may be, hand-holding, kissing, or far, far beyond that, even among believers. And then these many marriages end with many divorces, and some people have gone through several of those in the course of time. And I agree with what our friend told us in college, one day you'll wish that you had given less of yourself to others than the person you marry. And you wanna guard yourself from that. And you also wanna protect the person uh, you're with, you're getting to know. Uh, another aspect of that would be, um, it's great advice that I've heard would be, when you're single, it's great to have friends of the opposite sex so you actually know kind of what they're like and you see the kind of different types of men or women that are around. Some of you are getting that through your siblings, but even outside of your family, and to have friendships and conversations because, in speaking of women are really different one from the other. <laughs> so are men. And if you only really get to know one person at all, uh, you may not be making a great choice. But try to do that in a way that isn't getting all intense and bound to one person after the other. And I know the struggle I had through my teens would be, I wanted that, right? It's not good to be alone. I want the person to be close to. And having to have the restraint of saying, I want to be really careful so that I don't do something now that I'll regret later, even though I want to be bound to somebody. I'm not ready. She's not ready. Whatever. And then... Another aspect would just be to have honesty in relationships. This is another thing like, you know, we're at a seminary, and since we started the counseling program, we have a lot of female students in our counseling program. And you have a situation where one of the male MDiv students asks one of the female counseling students out for coffee. And depending on the context, that could mean coffee, or that could mean we're starting to court, <laughs> or if you want to call it intentional dating. and and. Sometimes, you know, he takes her to coffee and they have a nice conversation and then he's thinking, well, she was nice. I'll take somebody else next week out for coffee once. And she's waiting for the phone to ring or the text or whatever to continue this courtship that's begun. And she's already thinking about weddings and things like that <laughs> or vice versa. And I think it's important if you, if you want to avoid, I mean, we all want to avoid getting hurt. But also getting hurt sometimes is giving your heart prematurely to someone, then you get your heart broken. But you want to hurt, avoid hurting other people. You want to avoid leading them on. You want, you want them to be glad for whatever level of friendship you have rather than regretting they ever got to know you. And something that often happens in these relationships is, again, I already said one person thinks this is like we're moving to exploring marriage, and the other one is thinking, hey, we're just friends. And somehow they have to figure out a way to communicate about that or somebody's going to get hurt. Again, the terminology to me isn't that important. Like I said, courtship got to have so much baggage with it, and you know, Josh Harris, who I guess Chris, you know, kissed evangelicalism goodbye. But um, you know, you had the, the general principles to me that are important. Like I already said, you want to avoid lots of many marriages and many divorces. You want to not be in relationships you'll regret later. And then when you're getting close to the time when you think you're ready to get married and you say, okay, 
I want to get to know you for the purpose of seeing if we would be appropriate together, you know, whether we can make a marriage out of this. Uh, several years ago, I had a seminary student intern in our church, and he was feeling lonely, and he remembered a gal that in college had actually shown some interest in him, and at that time he was a new Christian and nothing happened. And she was actually uh, working as a missionary for the summer or something in Europe. And he wrote her an email just saying, kind of after not hearing from him for like two years, how you doing? And she says, why are you writing me? <laughs> and he writes back, well, I thought I'd like to be friends. She said, I got plenty of friends. <laughs> and then he had to show his cards and say, no, <laughs> that I admire you. I appreciate it in college, UT actually seeing your character and I'd like to get to know you for the purpose of seeing how things go. Again, that might scare some other people away, but in that context, actually now they've been married 15 years or so, have a bunch of kids and are serving together as missionaries in Latin America. Um, and so there needs to be, I think, honesty. Again, is this just friends like I have many friends or are we in a relationship where we're trying to figure out whether it would be a good thing for us to share the rest of our lives together. Um, and one of, the, one of the things that we talk about too is you look for what you would call deal killers. We counsel couples who are married and one of them wants to have children and the other one never wants to have children. If I say, who did your pre-marriage counseling? That you didn't figure that out before. Um, for some people, you know, an issue that comes up a lot is sexual history or present struggles with pornography and what goes along with pornography. And you know, when you're courting someone or dating somebody, decide, you, you can decide, I wanna marry someone who's a virgin. I wanna marry someone who's never struggled with pornography. Now, again, general statement for women, if, if you wanna meet a guy, marry a guy that never once has looked at porn, you may be single for a very long time. I'm sorry to say in the culture in which we live, but you know, we have the right at that point when you're single, you can decide what you want. Hopefully, what's most important is what you want the most. And so there are cases where you know, we counsel couples where before she was a Christian, she lived with a guy and she repented. And now for three years, she's been following the Lord in pure and they've had a pure dating relationship and he can forgive. And by the way, forgiveness is appropriate because she gave to somebody else what 1 Corinthians 7 belongs to a husband, but he forgives her. He accepts that he can make that choice or he could say that's too much for me. Uh, I'm not going to do that. You're, you're free at that stage. Uh, you're free in terms of, we had a case where the woman wanted to live always within five miles of her parents, and the guy wanted to be a missionary thousands of miles away. And that ended the courtship. They were both free. Ironically, the woman now lives thousands of miles from her parents. But actually, that was ironic because I performed both marriages of the couple that had been courting and married other people. Um, so you're, you're looking for, for deal killers, like Deepak Rachel's book, She's Got the Wrong Guy, uh, A Man with Anger. I'm, I'm overseeing a woman, a couple cases actually now, where the, the counselor is working with a young lady and her boyfriend is already controlling and angry and you know, he hits walls. Actually, one woman is dating an MMA fighter and you know, he gets mad and he and I said, that wall could be you, run. My advice, uh, even if he claims to be a Christian. And so 
being intentional in courtship. Uh, there's some resources I can recommend. In my book, Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage, it's actually got like four parts. The first part is pursuing marriage, and a lot of this stuff comes up. Uh, Tim Challey's made a blog out of one of my chapters, 10 issues to work through before you get married. And you know, are you both in love with the gospel? Is it impacting your lives? Do you respect each other's character? Do you have compatible life goals? How do you function together in group settings? Have you been able to work through the past? Are you able to be honest with each other about sins and faults? Can you love and accept one another as you are? Why do you want to marry each other? Are your expectations in marriage mutually agreeable? Uh, Dave Paulison has a mini book on pre-engagement, questions to ask yourself that would raise similar questions. I think getting advice, pre-engagement counseling can be a very wise thing to do, to get a, a wise, ideally older couple to ask you some challenging questions uh, to probe around. Now, something, what about the role of parents? Okay, I'm gonna, I've been walking through a minefield, now I'm getting really close. But my understanding is that, and this actually in the book, You Never Stop Being a Parent, I talk about courtship issues. Ideally, the parents of both the, husband, of the man and the woman will get to know the prospective spouse, will approve of the marriage enthusiastically, and it's a joining of two families. Uh, that's the dream, that's the ideal. But it doesn't always work that way. One example would be if the parents on one side are unbelievers, and I've actually been to a wedding where the parents on one side are Muslims, they're never gonna approve of their daughter marrying a Christian. And she as an adult is gonna to have to make choices. And I think as adults, they're free to make those choices. They should honor their parents, but not all parents are godly and wise. One thing that was a big deal when our kids were young would be for a father to give a daughter a promise ring. I'm not saying that's a wrong thing, but just like to promise that you won't get serious with a guy without him talking to me. And it, 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 those are ideal things, but quite frankly, if she's 25 years old and she thinks she's in love, you're gonna be much, you, you don't have control. You're, you're offering advice. And if you don't have her heart, she's not gonna to listen to you anyway. And so there, there's a reality, in my opinion, that ideally parents are, but it's if parents have a wonderful relationship of trust with their child, and if the child is walking with the Lord, then this happens. I've seen parents rescue their children from awful relationships. Uh, and so that can be a blessing, but parents can't always control that. And you know, we've tried in, sometimes in situations, I'm going to give a concrete example, where a guy and a girl were dating very seriously. He was a military officer. She was at a fundamentalist Baptist college. They're both reformed in their theology. The, the, the officer guy has talked to the dad and done all the stuff right, so respectful, sir, and all that. Well, they're like, they've been together now for a year and a half. They're on the verge of engagement and marriage, and the dad finds out that the officer man is a Calvinist. And this dad is a flaming Arminian. And he says, okay, it's done. You can't see each other again. I think. I've had conversations with people, parents like that, which is fathers do not provoke your children to anger. That you know, she's an adult and she's gonna, I think she has the freedom 
to make those choices. Um, purpose of engagement is to get ready for marriage. I want to make a comment about the physical side of things. And we do a lot of pre-marriage counseling. It's some of the favorite counseling we do. It's much more fun than some of the disasters of conflict and unfaithfulness and abuse you get. But we, we really enjoy pre-marriage pre counseling. But one of the things we will do to keep couples accountable is to ask them, what are your standards going to be for your physical touching while you're waiting to be married? And most couples struggle to some degree during that time. And we, have, we ask them to make their own guidelines rather than us imposing them. But they'll say, well, if you want to ask, I'll give you a couple ideas. And even more so, of course, if you're not even engaged yet. But the two things that I will say in general, actually, I'll make it three. One would be that physical touching and sex are an activity for married people. Um, meaning, and again, Carol and I, in college, we, we were out on a date when we were 18, and Caroline and I were talking, and what did you say, Caroline? If you ask me to marry you, I'll say yes. And so I did. Uh, <laughs> but I remember, we had to wait two and a half years for marriage, get through college, and if you, you know, I, I was a young man. It's like, what am I allowed to do here? And whatever it was, I wanted to do it. If, if you say, you know, tie your hands behind your back and you only can, you know, kiss this area here, I would have been happy to do that for a long time. But marriage is an act, I mean, physical things are an activity for marriage. Again, holding hands, greeting, hello. I, I can't draw absolute lines. But if it becomes an activity, you're doing something dangerous. Second one would be even more clear is if what you're doing with this person is making your body ready to have sex, and both men and women know what I mean by that, You've started to have sex. You'll figure that out once you're married. That, that's part of what got, sex isn't just the thing that happens at the very end. It's the buildup to the thing that happens at the end. And your body is getting ready. Stop whatever it is you're doing. Don't do that yet. And then a third would be don't put yourself in a situation of isolation where really bad things could happen because desire and hormones make Christ, even Christians think very irrationally. And a lot of couples we know have regrets about things that happen in the midst of that struggle. It's, I admire them for struggling against it. I admire them for admitting their struggles. I will also say that this is important for your marriage. When you're married, the more you've waited for until marriage, the happier you'll be within the marriage. And we've seen especially women in marriage who have a lot of some difficulty with the sexual part of marriage because of guilt about things that even may have happened with the person they ended up marrying prior to marriage. Um, another aspect would just be trust. That if you can trust the person you were to marry to keep you safe prior to marriage, then if you're separated temporarily for some reason of travel or otherwise, you realize this person has character that even though they have desires, they're like Joseph, their relationship with God is more important than fulfilling those desires. So, uh, there's more in there about wisdom and you know, qualities of husband and wife, but I realize I'm a little bit past time. Uh, there was a little book on you know, pursuing marriage I really appreciated. I'll just use what this guy wrote as his main points of the book to summarize where I've gone so far. And it was, he had two statements, essentially, choose your love, 
and then love your choice. And so you wanna choose wisely. You wanna be ready. You want to choose a person of excellence according to scripture, someone with whom you have compatible life goals. But then once you've made that choice, you love your choice. And that's gonna require, like we talked about last night, a great deal of grace and commitment. And yet a joyful marriage is a, a great blessing. And I'm very thankful for what the Lord has done for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray for those here who are single, that you would help them to become men and women of excellence, that at the right time you would provide a spouse for those who desire to be married. I pray, Lord, that you would also help those who are single and struggling and lonely to find rest in you. And I pray, Lord, that as you did provide even for a widowed Moabitess in Bethlehem, that you would provide for those who yearn for someone as a companion for life. We pray, Lord, that you would help us in our own marriages uh, to continue to strive to exemplify what you've designed marriage to be. And for those who may be struggling, Lord, help us to love our choice by grace as you've loved us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.